Which is my favorite dish, but without no money, it's still a wish. Cause I don't like to dream about getting paid, so I dig into the books of the rhymes that I made. So now it's a test to see if I got pulled. Hit the studio, cause I'm paid in full. Akim, check this out. Yo, you go to your girl house and I go to mine, cause my girl is definitely mad cause it took us too long to do this album. Yo, I hear what you're saying, so let's just pump the music up. And count our money. Yo, but check this out. Yo, Eli, turn the bass down and just let the beat keep on rocking. And we out of here. Yo, what happened to Peace? Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Bleach Mouth Postscript. My name is Larry. On this podcast, I generally have a guest each episode. They come armed with five pieces of music. An LP, it could be a song, it could be an EP, it could be a show tune, it could be a soundtrack, it could be a double LP. It doesn't matter as long as we're talking about music. I'm not a music expert. I'm not going to vouch for the expertise of any of my guests. It's just us sitting around and talking about shit we like. Take it any more seriously than that. That's all new, and uh, I can't help you and I suggest you uh, seek professional help because uh, you shouldn't get so bad about when the views expressed here and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, I want to apologize for the long uh, wait for the episode. Not that you're all waiting uh, with bated breath, but it has been a while since I posted one. Uh, life happens, I'm a busy dude. And, uh, you know, life happens. That's all I got to say about it. Uh, but, you know, I do apologize. And uh, most especially, I apologize to my guest today, Kate McCoy. Kate is a guitarist and singer for the band Safe Word. She's based out of Austin, but the band is also, uh, or the rest of the band, rather, is based here in Akron, and uh, Akron, Cleveland area. And uh, she travels uh, to play shows with the band whenever she gets an opportunity. And if you get a chance to see them, I strongly encourage you to do so. They're pretty fucking great. Anyway, we cover a lot of ground on this episode. It's in two parts. Please listen to this one first, all the way through. And then you can listen to part two, which is posted up and ready to go now. Uh, Just finish up, go there, wrap it all up, and we'll see you on the other side. Uh, thanks for, in all seriousness, for those of you who do listen on a regular basis, thank you so much for your support. I really do appreciate it. Uh, this is a lot of fun, and I do mean it. I am sorry that it took me a lot of getting up. Uh, I'm trying to do this on a fairly consistent basis. It's proving to be difficult. But uh, as long as it stays fun, I'm going to keep doing it. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Uh, here's Kate. How long have you been in Austin now? So it's actually almost a year to the day. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, um, we kind of just got the opportunity, my fiance and I, and just went for it. Um, yeah. It was in the middle of a pandemic, which was a, a choice, but I, I'm kind of glad it ended up that way because we got to take our time 
instead of like going out all the time and going to all the hot spots, we, we went hiking, we went paddleboarding, we got to do things that maybe we wouldn't have done otherwise if it weren't for, you know, everything being shut down. But are you climatized yet? Or are you used to the heat down there yet? I got used to it a lot quicker than I thought I would. The, okay. the first month was definitely, it was hot. I mean, it, <laughs> it took a second to get used to, but I mean, luckily here now we're in the drier part of the, the year. So I, I used to hate it when people from other parts of the country be like, oh, it's a dry heat, you know, but it, it really is. A, there is a difference. I, I truly feel it now. I lived in Houston for a year with my dad when I was in high school. And it's, so in Houston. <laughs> it's not, it's not dry heat. It's all just like you walk out of the house. It's time to change your shirt five minutes later. Oh, and absolutely. I, I thought I was going to be all pro and shit by the time winter rolled around. Nope. I was climatized. I was freezing like everybody else. It was only like 50 and I'm like, I'm used to like negative whatever. And this yeah. is not, I was so oh, mad. Yeah. I thought I was going to have like a great winter. No, I was yeah. pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I always had in the back of my mind, I always knew as much as I love Northeast Ohio, um, like I said, Akron, born and raised, and I lived in Cleveland for a couple of years before I moved. Um, it just ended up, it, it was just an opportunity that we couldn't pass up. I mean, I've yeah. always wanted to, I've had every intention of seeing what else is out there as far as like experiencing other places to live in Austin was kind of on he and I's radar for both of us for a long time. And we just kind of did it. <laughs> Where'd you go to school at in Akron? I went to Kent, actually. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, no, I meant, I meant you went to high school in Akron? Oh, yeah. Well, Woodridge. So it was technically like Cuyahoga Valley National Park area. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it was technically, we were considered Cuyahoga Falls there, but it was like border, like right where like Akron and Peninsula mm -hmm. and Cuyahoga Falls all kind of like intersect. I was, I grew up in that area. Okay. What yeah, about I, you? Uh, I went to East. I grew up across the street from Arlington Plaza. Okay. So yeah. my, my parents, um, before they moved to Cuyahoga Falls, I, I was born and up until I was like five or six, we lived in Goodyear Heights. Um, okay. yep. I yep. forget that it was right off Britain road somewhere. Wow. I can't think of the street, but yeah, I'm very familiar with that area. It's, it's an oddball spot because I went to Roswell Kent. That was the middle school I went to, and mm -hmm. we would have to walk there across the street through the plaza to get there. And that that junior high mostly fed to Garfield yeah, because I okay. be, because I lived just east of Arlington like right there in that housing project we had to be bused to east because that's where yeah. the cutoff was and so I was super familiar with the heights because that's mm -hmm. where my school was at and that's yeah. where I goofed off a lot at you mm -hmm. know at least yeah. during school and then during the summertime I goofed off more in Firestone Park because oh, I, yeah. I could walk there technically. You know? What is the name of that Metro Park? I, I think it's just Goodyear Metro Park that's off yeah. of Britain. I've had a couple of drunken sled riding nights there <laughs> in my 20s. <laughs> I still tell people that the Firestone Metro Park kills the better sled riding hill. It probably is. But Goodyear it's Heights awesome. is, it was pretty bad. <laughs> you know, I, I had wanted to ask you previously, but I didn't want to butt it up right against Anne's real quick like that, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'm certain that you and I have met in the past. I don't know where. I don't know when. I'm sure we have. In passing, man, I know I've known your name for a long time. I know we played your birthday party with uh, Feeney at matinee. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 I yeah. But like, I. But sure I mean. 
but I mean before that, maybe even. Oh God! Because yeah. I because I know Abby, mm-hmm. and yeah. I've known Ann for a minute now. We're not close friends. We've yeah. been acquainted for a very long time. From yeah, when she was really young, just coming out of high school, playing bands and stuff. Yeah. Um. So I'm like, well, I gotta get Kate on, but I'm like, I don't want to ask right after I just did Ann because then that just seems like, you know. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna pull the trigger because I, I know so. I. I know she's going to have a dope list. So it's oh, like, thank you. <laughs> no, I, there are just people you get a sense about, you know, and you know, you can just tell, like, if you, I can tell by watching a band, if they've got good taste in music or not. For sure. Absolutely. And not always, but generally, I mean, you know, I might be an exception rule because most exception to my own rule, because I know that oftentimes it's been joked about like, um, significant others of mine in the past and band members, significant others like, yeah, we wouldn't know you liked all that blues and stuff because you look like a guy when you're playing, it looks like he has a restraining order out on him or something, you know? <laughs> and when, when I'm playing in a hardcore band, the last thing I'm listening to is any other hardcore bands. Cause I just, yeah, you're I, exhausted I don't, of it. you saw me nerd out when you said gun club, but I want to start yes. with, um, I want to start with a band that I admittedly, and I'm ashamed to say this, don't know a ton about as far as like music. I've listened to them, but I haven't taken that deep dive yet, which yeah. people look at my age or like you're 48 and you haven't done this yet. Um, oh, no. The Wipers. No, 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 oh. it, no. but that's, yes. that's the whole exercise is for me to like plug up any blind spots and talk about stuff that I might not know about, but I I have to just, I think this whole concept is so cool, man. I'm, I was excited to do it. I think it's your podcast is so fun to listen to, (laughs) not to, to, I'm not trying to, um, to gloat or like pander at all, but really it's a really, really cool concept. So five favorites is tough. I wouldn't even say I, I picked ones that I just thought like, Cause you were like, don't overthink it, you know, but being someone that collects music and, and just, I, I love, like everyone always says this, but all kinds of music. I just feel like I have a, 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 not to sound pompous, but I feel like I have like a wealth of knowledge when it comes to different kinds of music. So it's, it was really hard to pick only five, but it was easy at the same time. Like you got I your list, you got your list faster than most people. I was really? like, wow. Yeah. People really they do a lot of hand wringing over it. And that's why I just, I just picked what I, made sense for now. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm listening to heavy now. What songs kind of have a little bit of value and I can tell a good story about. Right. There's only like two of those on this list, but the other ones are, are just perfect songs in my opinion. So. Yeah. I mean, that's why I try to shy away from the word favorite, even though I just said that because I just want people <laughs> to just, cause it's going to go wherever. But when did you first, hear the wipers was that a pretty early band for you or was it something that you came to later it was like i would say if i had to guess an exact age i'd say like 19 ish like okay. right out of high school um i don't know what it is i think the first wipers record i had ever heard was youth of america which is mm-hmm. one of their their bigger ones and i listened to it on repeat as soon as i heard it I'm like this is amazing i i just think Greg sage is such a a unique guitar player and his taste is so good. He's so creative. Um, just little tags that he puts on the end of, of, of the, his riffs. I just, there's nothing like him in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. The wiper, it just, 
their songs constantly get stuck in my head. I, it's, it's almost unexplainable. It's as, as far as guitar goes, I, I wish I was at Greg's age level. He's just so creative. Do you, do you like his playing better or his writing better? Cause I can, I can differentiate between the two quite a bit. You mean not, not, not with him specifically. I'm, I'm just talking like guitar players. Well, here's an example. Like, I can say without a doubt that I'll just use a generic name. Eddie Van Halen is a better guitar player mm -hmm. than Johnny Ramone. Okay. However, I will tell you, Johnny Ramone is a better songwriter. Got it. So is it Greg Sage's playing that attracts you more or the songwriting? I think it's a combination of both. If And okay. I know that's kind of a generic answer, but I mean, if you look at like the song that I picked, um, in particular, like, God, those guitar parts are so catchy, but so is the vocal melody. Like it's, I guess the lyrics don't matter. Like I, I'm not, I like lyrics, but I guess I don't pay as close attention to the lyrics themselves as what I do with the vocal melody mm -hmm. and, and how it lays over top the rest of the music, if, if that makes sense. But it does. I just think the wipers, they're just, it's, it's a whole package for me. Yeah. 
Is that how you write? Do you worry more about the melody first or do you come up with the words and then try to yeah. make them fit? I think it's a combination. Um, most of the time for me, it's a melody. And then like, I guess when I'm writing, I usually nine times out of 10, the music comes first. And I, I start like making up words and syllables, like gibberish, I guess, over top of it. And sometimes words come out of those. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but like something that might sound like at night, you know, and blah, 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 at night. And then from there, I'll be like, okay, at night that goes there. And then you sort of start just building off of that. If that makes sense. How many record, how many LP, let me look this up. How many LPs do the wipers have? Oh boy. I want to like full albums. I want to say, let me, let me three, right. Is it three? There might be more. There's, is this real, which is a great record. Youth of America. The Circle, which is the one that the track that I picked is off of. Um, Over the Edge, which is great, and Land of the Lost. And there might be some missing ones in there, but I, I, I can think of five off the top of my head. Uh, is this real? Yeah. Is Lost. this real? Youth of America, Over the Edge, Land of Lost, Follow Blind, oh, The Circle, that- Silver Sail, The Herd, and Power in One. Okay, so that's news to me. I haven't. I, I don't. I, the only ones I'm familiar with, as far as when I've seen what I've been flipping through records, going to the record store, are the first three. Oh, for sure. Those so, are staples. so when you when you mentioned this song, I looked up and saw that it was on the Circle, which is '88. My God, they had been a band for at least eight years by the time that record came out. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I I was I was I was fully expecting something from one of the earlier ones. So this that's that's kind of cool that you're like, yeah. you know, that song. I don't know what it is, but it's so ominous and like the cool. It it, it, it just keeps going back to him being a creative player. Um, I also I also like often excuse me put myself in the shoes of the people writing music. Like, how the fuck did you come up with that? You know. Um, and if it's something that just clicks with me, I, I, I sit there and I think about like, okay, how, how did they get to there? You know? Yeah. And, and Greg Sage is one of those, those players for me. It's just the little flourishes that he has are just unlike anybody else. I think I, I know a lot of people say this about a lot of people, but I think he's a very underrated player for sure. Do you, and it's, do you have favorite guitar players? 
You don't have to. You can say no. No, I have people that <laughs> I have people that definitely stand out, and he's he's for sure one of them. And I, I don't think it's the complexity of what he does. I think it's just the taste. Yeah, if, if that makes sense. Like there are some super super simple songs. I, I I guess what I'm saying is there's a beauty in simplicity. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to overcomplicate things. If you have a good hook, it can be three notes, and that's that's great. Yeah. I know it seems kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm searching for? Um, like a lame example, because it's so, I mean, the dude's music is so ubiquitous, but I mean, Keith Richards is a perfect example. So sure. he doesn't overplay. I no. mean, now his tuning is odd. That's definitely <laughs> something that, you know, but whenever you hear him play, like if he takes a lead part or a solo, it's barely what four bars eight bars maybe it's not like a full solo ever and it's just yeah i mean he he's just a guy who has like really tasteful hooks in the way that greg sage does yeah i mean i'm always curious to hear what guitar players like what what they're thinking about and who they're looking to yeah Um, i mean look at look at link ray for example i mean i I can he's a, a god as far as guitar goes at least from from my knowledge and from what i know and and look at the rumble like it's it's like two chords it's it's so simple but it's perfect I'm not an overcomplicated player. I think 
I, I, I just, I, I know I'm being repetitive, but I just think there's such a beauty and simplicity and repetition's great. I mean, if you have a hook that needs to go over and over and over again, do it. Absolutely yep. do it. Play it to shit. Yeah. Cause that's, that's how you get earworms. That's how you get something that people remember, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think about Link Ray. I think about, um, Bo Diddley. Yeah. Um, another one. Particularly, uh, there's this really, um, awesome record that I don't know if a lot of people are super aware of it called Black Gladiator. Okay. And there's a song on there called Elephant Man and it's his best song. It's his oh, best song. Man. It's it's Bo Diddley trying to keep up with a lot of the funk groups that were coming out at the time. Okay. But it doesn't sound like funk. It still sounds like Bo Diddley, but you can hear he's he's, he's fucking around with like mildly psychedelic sounds and you can tell he's probably smoking more weed than he was in the past you know he's trying to keep (laughs) up with the joneses and that but he simple riffs simple riffs
it, but I'm I'm absolutely gonna, gonna you should, add it. You <laughs> should you should check it out. The song's yeah. called the song's called Elephant Man and it's nasty sounding too. Like it's so raw. Like it's just fucked up and raw. It's really good. I feel like I um, should know this and I don't, but Hey, you know what? I didn't I didn't get hip to that record till I was like 29. I had really? no idea. Yeah, I had no idea that it existed. But then once I got them, it's one of my favorite records. Like it's just um and, and the cover, the cover itself is fucking absurd. Like yeah. he's wearing like this leather bondage outfit. Like he looks like a, <laughs> he, he looks like an extra from the Road Warrior. Like it's just it's the most absurd fucking yeah. Um yeah. but both oh, uh, but, man. I think about simple guitar players and and um let me see if I can share this whole lot. Yeah, please do. Um I'm curious. I love a good record cover. I mean, I I miss the I mean now that like I'm gonna sound like an old woman, but ooh, we're in the age of digital and you don't you don't get that tangible piece where you get to flip through a sleeve, you know, you don't get to see the the art behind the a record cover, and I miss that so much. I I, I have so much uh I, I, I just love folks that, that know how to put together a good cover image or a, a, a good cover art. I, I just think that's a lost art form. Can you see that? Yes, that's amazing. It's just <laughs> I love that. ridiculous. That is think, so, for lack of a better word, punk rock at the same time. Like very. It's so cool. Oh, I yeah, love that. It's a great record. Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to check it out. But he, he's like a master, like Ling Ray's master of like just a couple chords. And I think that's a pretty good segue to talk about the gun club because. Yes. Um, man, I love everything about that band. Oh, um, me, too. me too. Jeffrey Lee Pierce was just. Those first those first three albums are just fucking really, really good. From start to finish. I mean, Fire of Love, the first time I, I, I heard it, that was actually later for me. I would say it was maybe 26, 27 when I really got mm-hmm. into the gun club. And ever since then, I, I, they're on every playlist I make. I suggest them to everyone. I mean, of course, I we've, we kind of already talked about this, <laughs> but I always have to give the disclaimer, like there's a few songs that you're going to listen to where there are some... <sighs> very political incorrectness yeah Um, i i think the funny thing is like i don't you have to talk about it when you talk about gun club it's like you have to talk in the room when you yeah you you almost have to talk about it with every artist and that that's 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 the thing like um there are people out there who like to pretend that they don't pick and choose who they're willing to throw up on the cross and point mm-hmm. and wag their finger at, you know, oh, yeah. but the, the fact is they do, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, and there's not a single, you know, this, it's a pretty broad statement. There's not a single musician out there. That's not a piece of shit in some oh. way. At, at least, you know, people we grew up listening to, right? For sure. For and, sure. And I, I always try to be like, put myself in the mindset. And I know this, it's still not okay. No matter what decade it is, no matter yeah. what year it is, what's wrong is wrong. There's, there's things you don't say. There are, I, I you know, I, I want to say, okay, it was Los Angeles in the eighties. It was a different time, but it still doesn't make it okay. Right. It, I mean, it still doesn't make it okay. And I, that's why anytime I, 
I suggest the gun club to someone that has, and it's not like every single song of theirs is filled with racial slurs and, and racism, but every once in a while, there's a word dropped that you're like, Oh, they just, they just said that. And, and it's not, um, I think I look at it this way. So by excusing it isn't okay, it happened. It's a part of our history. And by saying that it didn't happen isn't okay, just as much as saying that, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is you can't ignore the fact that that was history no. and that, that it was used. And I'm not, I don't condone it by any means. I, I just, whenever I, I recommend the band to, some, to, to someone new, I say, hey, just by the way, you're, you're gonna hear some, some, some racial slurs thrown around in like a song or two. That's, that's the, that's the courteous and responsible thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you don't, you don't have to excuse it. You don't have to like go by and just say, Hey, it's fucked up. You can still enjoy the music. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes what I'm looking at, you know, not always, but sometimes I'm looking at what, what was the artist's intent? Mm -hmm. What's the context with which, which this came out? Mm Because while it might not excuse it, it, it adds more nuance to the conversation versus say, like, I've got a friend. Well, he's not a friend. He's an acquaintance. I've, I've got a, a guy I know who is really into super, I hate this phrase, edgelord type stuff. Got it. Like he really likes Boyd Rice and non and, and just fucking heinous shit. Like as far as, and he's, he's completely diametrically opposite of all that mm-hmm. as far as the content and some of the aesthetic, like mm-hmm. the racist content. Oh yeah. What he's drawing to the music and my question to him is always like, well, I understand that, but what, I mean, why, what do you want that in your life? Yeah. I mean, you're not getting anything yeah. out of it, but all you're getting is just the music. I mean, yeah. that's it. And there are other places you can find that. Mm-hmm. There's like a group with the gun, a group like the gun club, I only imagine Jeffrey Lee Pierce was looking for some type of authenticity and dropping the end bomb mm-hmm. was just, he thought that was part and parcel with the music that he loved, which was blues music. And it's like, yeah, it might've been, it, okay. it yeah. might've been, but not for you. No. He, it was, he was tone deaf to the whole thing. Cause you 
crazy racist unapologetic like I, I don't know what what she's up to but I I think there's some mental illness at play there not that, that excuses For it but sure. but yeah. there's something fundamentally different about at least I don't know the woman but I mean there's something fundamentally different about the Exine Servank I grew up with and thinking that I know in mm-hmm. that artist versus this other person mm-hmm. you know and I would have to believe that that's part of it because, you know, John Doe's not like that. And, you know, uh, DJ's not like that. Although Mm -hmm. Billy Zoom has always been a prick from what I'm told. He's always been a fucking Yeah, I've heard the same. But it's it's such a touchy thing. And that's why when I I brought up the gun club, you know, I'm like, should I choose something different? And it's, I just, you never know what kind of, judgments people are going to pass like obviously like i said i always let people know like hey this is you're going to see this maybe once or twice on this record mm-hmm. and and like i said i i want to say okay it was la in the 80s it was a different time people didn't know but that still doesn't make it okay it doesn't and, make it it doesn't make it okay but that's the new again that's the nuanced conversation you have to have is like look this yeah. guy he was he was fucking in his 20s he was mm-hmm. shooting smack he thought he was doing the blues the way it should be done and he just yeah. He made poor fucking judgment, you know. Yeah. I doubt Kid Congo Powers is losing a sleep over it, even though he was in the no. bandit several times, you know. But um, you know, it, it that but you're doing you do the right thing by doing yeah. that. Like um just give a disclaimer, like, hey, if you're uncomfortable with hearing this, and it is uncomfortable, it, it yeah. truly is. I mean, it sucks because if you think about the song for the love of Ivy, that if you mm-hmm. just turned the lyrics off, that song is it, it, so fucking cool. And then they have to ruin it with 1980s blindsided, unknowledgeable. Like it, it wasn't talked about like it is now. It no. really wasn't. And and I I like to think in my idyllic image of them that if it were if it were today it would have happened it might not have i don't you know it's it's hard to say i mean i think that things have happened so quickly in the past 10 years oh for sure that you you really see who people are Mm -hmm. you know there are plenty of artists that who i thought for sure were probably going to be these knuckle dragging lunkheads and come to find out that they're the guys who are like no fuck all that you know that bad shit that's going on and you have people yeah. that you thought more highly of that are like complete morons oh you for know? sure for sure it, mo tucker for example from yeah background, she's not a 
No. She's got some interesting views that I don't agree with. Well, I mean, <laughs> Lou Reed did too. Lou Reed wasn't known as being a very nice individual either. You know, oh, he just I kind know. of. And that's so sad because I, I, I idolize Lou Reed. He's, I, I almost picked a Lou Reed song, but like, yeah, he's. You Tony think, Island Baby is still one of my favorite records of all time. Like he's, That's one I'm not super, super familiar with. I've heard oh, it a couple so times, bad. but yeah. yeah. I, I love Velvet Underground. That's like a another band a lot of people wouldn't peg me for. It's like, no, they're pretty fucking great. I mean, I can listen to the, I can listen to Loaded and White Light, White Heat pretty oh, much okay. any time. Standing on the corner Suitcase in my hand Jackson's corset, Jane is in her vest And me, I'm in a rock and roll band huh. Riding a studs back at Jim You know, those were different times all, all the poets, they studied rules of verse And those ladies, they rolled their eyes Heavenly 
Yeah, I like all of them, but those two in particular, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, which kind of brings me to this question since we're kind of talking about it. Like, do you think people have to be fucked up to make great art? No, okay. I don't. I think, okay, as someone that has dabbled in all kinds of different things, I mean, I, I think that there are enhancements Absolutely. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I have. Well, I don't mean necessarily, I don't necessarily mean drugs. I mean just oh, okay. fucked up. Oh, I just, mean, just like, okay. Got damaged it. Uh, somehow or have like stuff that they're dealing with, and, and it might, I it think, might, it might take, it might manifest itself in drug use. But I mean, I'm just talking like just fundamentally damaged. In general, yeah. I, I think you have to have some worldliness, if that makes sense. Um, I think you have to have, you have to have been around the block a time or two to really be able to, uh, where am I going with this? You, you, I think some of the best musicians and some of the best people that are most authentic, I think have dealt with some shit, you know, I, I think that adds to the grit of, of people. I think there's more, there's more to write about. There's more feeling there. Whereas I, I, I'd like to think that the most privileged person, the person that's had all the money their entire life. And even then, I guess they probably have issues too. So never mind. I'm, I'm no, you're no, but I mean, I think, it, I, I think there has to be some brokenness. Every somebody's worst pain is somebody's worst pain is still their worst pain, regardless yeah. where they came from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, at some point, and that makes it sound like I'm giving people privilege a pass. I mean, I'm really not, but I also don't want to, I don't want to compete with somebody for who has the worst life. Oh, you know, no. It's Everybody like, so own. yeah. Everybody has their own shit, no matter where you came from. Yeah. And I, I mean, think that I, you know, okay. So yeah. Going back to what you just said, I think everybody has their own issues. Everybody has their own heartaches, their own problems. And I think if you can identify with those problems, then you can make great art out of that. But if you don't know how to identify with what hurts you or what makes you feel certain ways, you know, then I don't think you, how do you make art out of that? If you can't identify exactly what's making you feel this way, how do you express it? Yeah, I think sometimes people's privilege prevents them from actually and again I keep saying this phrase but I mean it I'm paying with broad strokes here Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people with privilege aren't forced to face whatever has happened to them or whatever goes on in their life the same way other folks have to They, they, they have more time on their hands to avoid stuff absolutely and they don't have to confront it nearly as quickly or as um with any kind of earnestness or, you know, real, a real attempt to to work on it. I think true hardcore emotion brings out authentic art, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think you have to, you have to put yourself in a position to feel that emotion in order to, to, to put that art out. If that, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. It does. I, I, I often, I often like, I, I like, I'm fascinated by the people that are really super fucked up and have like a real 
or at least maybe not fucked up. They have a real hard luck story and they still yeah. come up with the most innocent and beautiful sounding music. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, Chet Baker comes to mind. Definitely. Definitely. And he was a fucking complete asshole too. I mean, talk about <laughs> dickheads. That guy sucked. But you know what? I think there are certain things that give people a pass to be a complete dickhead. No, he, no, let's not do that. Look, I love his music. He's a junkie scumbag. I will say, and, okay, and, I know yeah. and I know it's a harsh way to put it, given that, you know, um, you know, drug addiction, it's, it's a disease. It's not, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, but mm-hmm. I mean, he fits that mold of what people, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I think yeah. the only good, the only good guys and gals left in music are maybe, well, Dolly Parton and, 
she is like you don't, you don't hear anything uh, terrible about Dolly ever. You know, and she keeps like she's not necessarily a keep to herself person, but she's also a keep to herself person. Like she pleases, she pleases the masses. Yeah. You know, she refuses to take. St- I mean, I like to think that Dolly is she cares about the greater good. Obviously, yeah. I mean, where she put her money during COVID. Yeah. But somehow she has been an innocent angel, like in, in everybody's eyes. Like she's, she's pleased my, the masses. My kids get a new book from her little book club every month for free. My nephew does too. I think it's the cutest thing ever. It's, it's so sweet. But I think about people like her and I think about like Bill Withers and you mm-hmm. never hear anything bad about these people and never. they're as good as anybody. So yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe that whole notion is shot to shit based on those two examples, you know, I that you have to be just, fucked up. I, I guess it just depends who you are as a person, regardless yeah. of, of your surroundings, your, your uh, environment. Like it, it really just depends who you are at the core ultimately. Yeah. And I mean, I know it seems like we went far afield, but like, you know, you, what brought it about was when you think about Jeffrey Lee Pierce, mm-hmm. the person he was and the yeah. problems he was dealing with and the life he was leaving. And, you know, so I don't know anything about Tommy James and the Shondells, but I know this song. It's so pretty. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And I kind of wonder if he, was he fucked up? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about the guy. Probably. It was the sixties, man, you know? Well, um, and again, oh, I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean just drugs. I mean, like, just, was there something wrong with him? Yeah. 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 Um, there's actually a really great story as to why I chose this song. Um, Hit me. if we, if we want to segue into that, but yeah, that's absolutely um, what I want to do. <laughs> so <laughs> without going into a really long drawn out story, I, my parents have always been music people. Um, my mom played saxophone in the school band. My dad wanted to play drums when he was younger, but never actually played music. But both of them are music lovers to its full extent. And music was such a big, big part of my life as a kid. And that's kind of what I identify with certain phases in my life, like what my parents were throwing at me to listen to, what we were listening to in the car with our with my mom, you know, as a kid. And my parents, when I was younger, and I'm so fucking thankful for this. I think that's why I am the way I am. And they don't even know this, but, um, I used to carry around this play school tape recorder as a kid had the two microphones on the side. It was made of big shit plastic. So you could throw it around everywhere and it wouldn't get, it wouldn't get a broken, but they would give me these like best of decade cassette tapes. Mm Mm-hmm. So I had one of the 50s, one of the 60s, one of the 70s, uh, multiple ones of the 60s, maybe. And they would they would play them in the car. They would give them to me to listen to. And Crimson Clover was on one of those tapes. And still to this day, it's one of my favorite songs. And it just kind of reminds me of riding in the backseat of the car with my parents or, you know, my dad and I's thing ever like when I was like 15 and couldn't drive yet and I had to stay home on a Friday or what night was it was it it was Saturday I would stay home with my dad and we'd listen to Mr. Classic's house party (laughs) in 95 yeah oh my god my dad would just 
drink until he couldn't anymore and lay in the middle of the floor and request music all night. And I would lay there with him. And that was like, that was my childhood. And, and my dad's not an alcoholic. I don't mean that, but that was his night just to like yeah. let loose, request whatever he wanted to hear and then be like, okay, kid, who is this? What, what, what artist is this? What record is this on? You know? And, and, and that was, that was my childhood. And, and like I said, Crimson and Clover has always really stuck with me because it was on one of those, it was on a 1960s best of the decade. So they probably got it like the checkout aisle at the grocery store. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, it's, it's, it's a perfect song. It's beautiful. And it just reminds me of my childhood. And that's, that's why I chose that one. Uh...
I really, really like that song a lot. I love it. I wasn't familiar with him, but now I, I looked him up and I know all these fucking songs. He's got so many hits. Hanky so Panky, many. I Think We're Alone Now, Mirage, Moni Moni, Sweet Cherry Wine, Crystal Blue Persuasion. Yeah. And of course he's from Michigan. Like, of course. Like mm-hmm. most great rock rock and rollers. I've got I mean, Iggy Pop, for example, who is one of my all-time favorites. Um MC5, like there's, there's Iggy Pop, MC5, Alice Cooper, John yes. Brannon. I don't like Bob Seeger, but I can't deny his vocal prowess. Oh, like his, his, his you know oh. what? Everybody tries to sell me on that. And I'm just like, <laughs> nah, man. I just, and I should like it. I just can't get over that hump. Like, I love his voice. It's just like the songs. I'm just like, I've got no use for it. But all respect, because he's actually doing he's doing something. You for know. me, it's nostalgia. It's, yeah. it's my mother. Like, you know, we talked about my dad and my mom. Like, Bob Seger was yeah. one of her favorites. Fleetwood Mac was one of her favorites. She even liked, like, Smashing Pumpkins in the 90s. I remember okay. her listening to that, you know, and I... I, I don't hate smashing pumpkins. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't hate Bob Seger. I just, I just don't get it. Like it's just, got it. you know. Um, For like me, it, it reminds me of my family weddings because okay. 
both sides of my family know how to throw a fucking party and it's always Bob Seger on both sides of the family. (laughs) But you can talk everybody from Michigan, Grand Funk Railroad, uh, everybody in Motown. Like, yeah, that's a whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I don't know. It's just Detroit, that whole area is just fucking amazing so well, of, co- it kind of, of course goes back to what we were saying before yeah. i mean detroit wasn't always uh, desolate it wasn't always not that it's desolate i don't mean that but i i, I love detroit myself but it wasn't always struggling it, mm-hmm. it, it had its moment but it, again i think it was very working class i think it was very blue collar and mm-hmm. you know i think there was a lot of great art as we just said that came out of that that came out of uh working class families another one John Lee Hooker, that's, mm-hmm. he made his hometown there. I mean, every, every associated with Delta Blues, and it's like, well, yeah, he sounds like more like Hill Country because he's more idiosyncratic with his playing. Talk about one yeah. riff and one chord. Mm-hmm. But he didn't go to Chicago. He went to Detroit. He's a Detroit guy. Yeah. I can hear the farmer. 
get out of here. So everybody from Detroit was awesome. (laughs) The rock crushing me in Detroit, not Cleveland. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just like, why, why did Cleveland miss that mark? We were like, do like in that same wave as Detroit. I mean, not that Cleveland missed its mark. There is some fucking fantastic artists that have came from, from Northeast Ohio. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I tell being in a new city. I am so proud of where I came from and not to, to shift the conversation, but being in a music city, Mm -hmm. I have to say there's something with coming from a smaller pond, um, like Akron, Cleveland, Northeast Ohio. It, how do I put this? It's a smaller pond. So you have to be fucking good at what you do in order to play, you know, in order to get gigs, in order to get a following. We're here, you can play wherever the fuck you want. And I have seen a lot of just okay bands here where I yeah. feel like, it, it, and don't get me wrong, there's some absolutely wonderful, I mean, I'm not talking shit about Austin by any means, but I have to say, out of five shows that I saw in Austin, maybe two were ones that I would go see again. We're out of five shows in Northeast Ohio. Four are probably ones that I would go see again. There's a guy named Paul Mayhern from this uh, hardcore band called the Zero Boys. And mm-hmm. I can't remember what documentary it was, but he pointed out, he said, you know, the thing about the Midwest, and this applies to Northeast Ohio, of course, mm-hmm. is that in, in other cities where you have like, strong music scenes and he was specifically referring to los angeles and new york at the time but yeah. we can include austin and now nashville mm-hmm. and not just now nashville nashville's been a thing but even you had the country western thing and now it's got like a more hip thing going on in nashville. but well you know what i mean it's like <laughs> yeah yeah his point was like as a when you're in the midwest you know these other city these other centers these cultural centers these music centers you know, if you want to play music, there's already a river there. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is dip your toe in it, right? Yep. Yep. In the Midwest, you have to dig the fucking well. Yes. Before you I get absolutely. to water. And that's that what he so said. Good. And and I even I even get blatant locally, even about the differences between Akron and Cleveland. Now, look, I love Cleveland music. I don't like the city as much. Oh, man, I, I have so be- many friends, but you know what? It's like when when people who don't know anything about Northeast Ohio and and they will say something mistakenly is from Cleveland, like no, no, it's no, Akron. Don't do that, please. Yeah. Don't do that. I used to be a fucking stand for Akron over Cleveland, and I still am. I got you know when when Asif was playing the band that I was in. Oh my God, that's like oh that's God, that was that's where that's ago. where I met you. Yeah. Now that you said that. Yeah. I saw you guys play at Square Records. Oh, yeah. I think we, I, we, we put a record release show there. I uh, walked in to talk to Dave about something. It was Oregon and you guys were playing. And yeah. I stopped and I was watching and I watched the whole set. And yeah. I said, Dave, I said, they're really good. He goes, Yeah, I know. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. I was maybe 20. Yeah. <laughs> I was a baby. I was the youngest in that band. Yeah. But, and it was, it was, that's okay all right there you go that's right yeah that was it that was it but (laughs) But no go but go ahead you were saying about cleveland and akron and you know and and when i moved to cleveland and kind of met some of the folks in the scene it's it's also great um but in that era so i was 20 i'm 
I'm 30. So when I was 20, I, it was what, 2011. So yeah. that era, I feel like Akron was in my mind, way superior to Cleveland at that time, as far as the music scene went, we were so close knit. There was so much going on. It still, um, it still is better. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been part of both, so I can't really, I, I you know, I think Cleveland's got a, a really, really cool, I hate this word, but vibe going on. Um, Happy Dog's wonderful. May Hall's is wonderful. And there's a lot of really, really great people that are facilitating this. Oh, like, for, both for sure. And, yeah, I just, but there is something, there was something so fucking cool and gritty. And there still is about Akron. I, I mean, I felt like a rock star the first time I played matinee. <laughs> like when I was a kid, like, and I'm, and now that it's not open, I guess I can say when I was like 16, 17 years old and walking in there, like I was old enough to be there. I was going to see bands that I was like, I was, oh my God, I idolized some of these bands. And yeah. when I finally got to play there, it was like, oh my God, I made it. <laughs> like just to see that you, the thing that you put your, your effort into the thing that like, obviously as musicians, like it's super important to us. So the thing that you put your heart for lack of better word, your heart and soul into, and people come out to see, and like that many people come out to see, it's like, I did it in a sense. And it's not that, it's not that you necessarily need approval from other people but it definitely feels good the validation feels really good i think anybody who says that they're in a band and they're not seeking some type of approval is kind of lying for sure they're, they're, they're not being honest with themselves it's just you it's, want to do something that people like to listen to. to to what extent do you it's to what extent do you sacrifice what you want to do to get that approval that's where the the trick is and oh yeah you know oftentimes i've always said i'm more and i it I wasn't lying when I said this. I was more interested in just playing with my friends' bands and getting mm-hmm. to see cool bands and hang out. Yeah. Right. 100%. Absolutely. But, but then there's this whole other aspect like, well, yeah, I want to make a record. I want this document of something I made. Right. Mm-hmm. So you make a record and then you're faced with the commerce end of it is like, well, now I have to fucking sell these so I can make another one. So I yeah. can have this artifact on my shelf that said, look what I did. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's such a weird, it's so odd to me, the whole thing. And I'm just, I don't, I have no ill feelings about anybody who wants to be a professional musician, but I don't understand. I don't understand the impetus. I'm like, that's a whole thing that I, you know, the only reason I'm still able to, you know, get up in front of people and play when I do, when I'm actually in a band is because I never took it. I took it seriously in that I want to do good music, but I didn't take it seriously as a career, never wanted it, never. And I think that's the only reason I'm still doing it now. Cause I think if I had wanted to do that earlier, I would have burned myself out a long time. Oh, 100%. You know, who no gave fucking me way. Great, yeah. You know who yeah. gave me great advice on this via Instagram actually is Dave Rich. Okay. Um, he, a shout out to Dave Rich. <laughs> Thank you for letting me use your app the last two times I've came to, to Cleveland. <laughs> but, um, I, was so adamant on not getting a fucking nine to five. I'm like, I am not going to work, work a fucking nine to five. That is not my style. I'm not going to do it. Well, what have I done for the last, I don't know how many years I've worked a nine to five. And I had posted something on Instagram that was like, you know, Hey, I make magazines and I think it's really cool. Like I, I enjoy what I do. I am 
I am a functioning adult, basically. Right. And and Dave commented on it and he said something like, you know, the most fun that I've ever had making music was when I stopped trying to quote unquote make it. And he's right. He's right. Just do it to enjoy it because it's what yeah. you love to do. You yeah. know? I mean, obviously, if the the opportunity came around to be able to tour again, I would I would do it 100 percent But I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing it out of the sake of that's what's in my bones. That's what I love to do. It's, right. it's who I am. And I can still work a nine to five and go play some fucking shows every night. It can still be okay. You know? God, you know, that, that was one of the things I liked the least was touring. I really? like, yeah. I liked being in the other cities. Right. Oh yeah. I didn't like the trip in between. I didn't oh. like, I didn't like, I mean, I was, I was friend and I had a good time with my friends as much as I could, but I wasn't like, Hey, we're, this this camaraderie we're pirates on the road it, i was like i want to i want to be in my own fucking bed and i want to watch star trek tonight right yes. after the show yeah, but I, I but I, but but you know i got to play a lot of towns and and see mm-hmm. a lot of cool things and see meet a lot of cool people and see a lot of cool bands but i i only ever told the guys i said we'll do it for two or three weeks at a time but i'm not doing more than that yeah, so, yeah. polar opposite i I loved touring. That was when I felt, and maybe it was because, I mean, not that we went for very long. We do like, we do short runs, come back to Akron, and then we do another short run. Was this as if? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like we did any crazy long tours, but it was like, you know, we go to like four or five different cities and then we come back. You know, that was the longest one that we did, but. (laughs) That's still, but that's, that's still a big deal. And, and, you know, at the risk of sounding like an old fuddy-duddy, you know, uh, even 10 years ago, three women going out on the road, four different cities. I mean, people are shithead. People are shitheads, especially at rock, especially, especially at rock clubs. Dudes are just the fucking assholes, man. I have the funniest story and, and Anne will back me up on this. Hit me. Let me hear it. We were playing, oh God, I think it was in Grand Rapids. And I, I think it was Grand Rapids. If, if I'm not, I might be mixing two different runs up, but I, I am like 75% sure it was Grand Rapids. But we go into the venue and we start loading our stuff in. And I could not make this up if I tried. Like I said, I have people to attest that this happened, but we, we start loading into the venue and some dude comes out and I shit you not. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Girlfriends aren't allowed back here. You you, you got to go up there. And we went, what? <laughs> not even kidding. I am not even kidding. I have my fucking guitar in my hand. And they're, they're like, you guys can't be back here. Girlfriends can't be back here. And I, I was, it had to have been Anne that was like, oh, excuse me. You know, where we are the band. <laughs> Oh and God. we played I, still to this day I think that may have been one of my favorite shows that we've ever played if I'm I, I remember that show I just can't remember exactly what city it was in I I'm, I'm sure I think it was Grand Rapids but and, and and we fucking killed it and I hope they felt like shit I really they should do. they yeah. should the girlfriends can't be back here <laughs> fuck you it was it was yeah, there were there were some uh, some stories from being women on the road, you know, but you ever, you ever find yourself in a situation and I don't mean just because you're a woman, I mean, just yeah. in general, because being in a band, 
on the road, you don't, you're in a different town. You don't know what's going to happen. If you ever find yourself yeah. in a situation that you're like, man, this is kind of dicey. This is pretty, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, God, and I was 21 freshly the first mm-hmm. time we ever, no, yes. Somewhere I was like, I know that I was freshly 21 on one of the first runs we went on. So very young, very naive, you know, I, I don't know how, Worst things didn't happen to me. <laughs> I mean, we were very fortunate. Um, at least on one run, we had our friend Brad that came with us. Brad mm-hmm. Dorla was, yep. was with us one time. I know Brad. Um, the, the the time that we didn't take Brad, somehow everything went smooth. I I, I really don't know how it, it went off without a hit. Mom didn't go off without a hitch. We kind of broke up as soon as we got back to Akron. But I mean, it... I still wouldn't trade it for anything. It, it's yeah. still to this day uh, is, are some of my, my fondest memories. I, that was when I truly felt like I had made it. Like I was living, I did, I lived up to what I had set out to do. I was thinking about dangerous shows and uh-huh. one of the most dangerous shows that well, one of the most legendary dangerous shows was the last mission of Burma show in the eighties. Like when they broke up and before they reformed they okay. played in Boston with a band called Negative FX. Okay. And Negative FX got through one or two songs, assaulted the sound guy through their drum oh. rig at somebody. And I love that band very yeah. much. Negative FX is great. But um, I was trying to thread that needle. Dangerous shows. Okay. Mission to Burma. Yeah. It was a stretch. I'm sorry. But so Wait, let's no, talk. No, it about- works. I'm, I think it's a great segue. <laughs> Thank you. Now you're patronizing me. <laughs> no, I swear I'm not. This is so much fun. I promise I'm not. No, but let's but, talk about Mission to Burma because they're yeah. awesome. I love yeah. Mission to Burma. They're really God, good. Same, same. So the reason why I picked this song, and it is, God, I feel like such a nerd even now saying this, but I was that nerd that... Okay, do you remember the record exchange in Chapel Hill? Yep. That was in the, the weird plaza next to that weird music store. Yep. It's still um, there. Is it really? They actually took over that music store space. The place it's so big now. All the I record exchange, it? all the record exchanges are called just the exchange now, I think. Oh. And okay. they're more into um it's still they still have records, they still have CDs. Mm-hmm there's a really big focus on memorabilia oh and like like funko pops and stuff like that and you know the records they do have i mean they're more like you know you can buy a 50 dollar 180 gram pressing of you know uh an eagles record that you don't really yeah right i mean it's like that kind of record store Mm -hmm. so um, but yeah, they're still there. I haven't been to one probably since I was 16, 17 years old. Well, because you had square records. You didn't need oh, 100%. As soon as I found square, I was, that was yeah. it. That was it. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I picked this song is because I felt like it was such a, that, like this song in particular was such a gateway for me into finding so much more music. And I did... <laughs> So I, 
When I could drive, I would like the, the, the first year that I could drive when I was 16, I would go to the record exchange all the time just to have somewhere to go. Yeah. Um, we'll go look around, probably not buy anything, just flip through shit and, and leave. But one of my first couple times going there, I did the nerdiest, most like taboo thing to do in a, a record store. And I say that in quotes because it's the exchange, but um, whoever was working behind the counter had this song on. And I, I just like, I was flipping through records. And as soon as the song came on, like, I just, just like instantly stopped. Like, I, I don't remember what I was looking through. I was just focused on what was playing. And it was trend two by Mission mm-hmm. Burma. And I didn't know that at the time. So I did the nerdiest fucking thing. And it's like the most taboo thing to do in a record store. But I walked up to the, the counter and I said, what, what is this? And it was the live version. Um, oh, fuck. What was that record called? Um, There's something about Burma or um, something in the waters of Burma or something. Um, but it was a live record. Um, and it was that specific song. And he's like, oh, you know, it's it's this by Mission of Burma. And I was like, can I, can I have it? And I made the poor dude take it out of the CD player and sell me the CD, which I guess is like the nerdiest thing to do. But I'm so glad I asked him because still to this day, it's one of my favorite songs. And I have, God, this sounds so nerdy, but I have that to thank for being kind of a gateway into a lot of different music. There's, because- there's, there's nothing nerdy or wrong with that. In fact, he'd be a fucking asshole if he didn't take it out and sell it to you. He did. And he said, no, 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 I'm saying if he had not done that, yeah. because that's the whole point. That is the whole point of being in mm-hmm. a record store, either working there or looking for stuff is to like share. Yeah. Music. And it's called the horrible truth about Burma. The horrible truth about Burma. That's it. 100%. The but song, the song originally appears on, on verses. Verses, and, and that version is, Oh my God. I know I said it, but I love repetition when, when a riff or something, and that's, that's a perfect example of simplicity being mm-hmm. perfect.
CDs for friends in high school. Like that's how <laughs> I'm aging myself. But yeah, it was something about that song really, really caught my attention. And and ever since then, I've been hooked on Mission of Burma. And that was definitely my gateway into post-punk and and a lot of stuff that I listen to now because I just so happened like on that day, this this dude was playing that record and I made him take it out of the CD player and sell it to me. Yep. And I probably still have it somewhere. The, the actual CD, the horrible truth about Burma. That was it. Yeah, but I I like Mr. Burma quite a bit. I like CD. a lot of I like a lot of what people um, call post punk. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. and sometimes I kind of hate that phrase because yeah. some of the bands they categorize that, and I'm like, well, they were kind of you know, one band that I've heard people, and it's totally inaccurate if you're talking about chronology, um, but one one band that gets called occasions like when people talk about television and they say post-punk i'm like that's not yes. post-punk that's no. that predates it and they're every bit as punk as any other band out there so, i almost like so, marquee moon and that is so cliche but one of no, my favorite it's, no it's not it's not cliche because you know why it's a fucking perfect record perfect it's perfect a perfect record. album did you get to see them when they came to the beach a few years back i was gonna go I can't remember why I didn't. Um, the cost at first was a bit daunting, but I thought to uh-huh. myself, you know what? These guys don't tour. And this is why these shows are expensive. This mm-hmm. is a once thing. And I, oh, I know what it was. Um, it was what, like three years ago, maybe four years ago? I think it was about four years ago. I, no, I don't remember why I didn't go, but it was it was something family oriented, but I couldn't yeah. go. I, um, but I wanted to go up. really bad. I cried the whole time. It was yeah. like, and I didn't even mean to. I'm not, I'm not really a big crier, but it was just one of those like, time for late. Like it, it was, it was unreal. It, it, and they, they really, really put on a good show. I mean, obviously they, they sounded older, you know, as, as you get with each yeah. artist, but oh my God, Billy Fica, it, it was, it was unreal. It was well, the so music, good. the music they play, it doesn't sound ridiculous for them to play uh-huh. at this age. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, That's it's like, so, 
Go but ahead, I mean, sorry. like, no, but, but what I was getting at was like, when people say post-punk, I'm like, well, do you mean punk rock, but you just don't want to call it punk rock because you think it's all Ramones? You know yeah. what I mean? Like when people have called, uh, you know, like Stranglers post-punk and I'm like, no, no punk rock. Punk. Or like when, uh, and this might be, this might be stretching it a bit, but people like, like the first Killing Joke record or early Bauhaus. And I'm like, you mean uh-huh. punk rock bands? I mean, it, it's, it, I think so. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch because the aesthetic is, yeah. the, the aesthetic is a bit different, but people didn't have any problem calling like 45 Grave or those bands, punk bands, yeah. but Bauhaus somehow wasn't. I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it. it's tribal, it's simple. Yeah. But I mean, I think that, I think punk has a larger umbrella than people give it credit for because, because when her first Ramones record came out, then all of a sudden it was codified Mm -hmm. and it is very much punk rock. And that is, it is, it doesn't need to be accessibly. And, and, and television, I would never, ever put them in that post punk rock. I mean, you were talking about Greg Sage's guitar playing Tom Verlaine and fucking, uh, uh, Richard, uh, Richard Hell. No, um, no, it's not Richard Hall. He didn't play guitar. Richard Lloyd, sorry. R- Richard Lloyd. Yeah. The guitar playing is sick. It's so good. Did it's you know that I so played with Richard Lloyd at Thursdays one time? That who? We as if played with Richard Lloyd at Thursdays in like 2011, 2010. No, I didn't know yeah. you did that. It was. I've heard he's a dickhead. He. Uh, it was. Uh, one of the most disappointing meeting your your heroes moments um he was an absolute asshole oh. absolute asshole and i guess the next night he like got in trouble for beating his wife and went off to wherever i, I don't know i think he got taken to some kind of he was mentally ill i mean he had yeah. his, his serious issues which is no joke but he was a uh, very not what I expected to to be, but it was still amazing. I mean, yeah. our, our friend Danny Tamborelli played with him. He played bass with him that night. And, and because of him, we got to play New York with him. Like it, it ended up being a, a, a great. Oh, cool. With Danny, not with, with Richard Lloyd. Oh. But um, yeah, there was some really great things that came out of it. And, and he was really good. He's just not a, a shithead. Yeah, he's a total shithead. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah. circling back to the whole point earlier that are all musicians <laughs> should have they are 